Chapter one, take two, two. Just as Mr. Summers finally left off talking and turned to the assembled villagers, Mrs. Hutchinson came hurriedly along the path to the square, her sweater thrown over her shoulders and slid into place in the back of the crowd. Clean forgot what day it was, she said to Mrs. Delacroix, who stood next to her, and they both laughed softly. Thought my old man was out the back stacking wood, Mrs. Hutchinson went on, and then I looked out the window and the kids was gone, and then I remembered it was the 27th and came a-running. She dried her hands on her apron, and Mrs. Delacroix said, You're in time, though. They're still talking away up there. Mrs. Hutchinson craned her neck to see through the crowd and found her husband and children standing near the front. She tapped Mrs. Delacroix on the arm as a farewell and began to make her way through the crowd. The people separated good-humouredly to let her through. Two or three people said in voices just loud enough to be heard across the crowd, Here comes your Mrs. Hutchinson, said Bill, and, uh, and, and... Bill! She made it after all! Mrs. Hutchinson reached her husband, and Mr. Summers, who had been waiting, said cheerfully, Thought we were going to have to get on without you, Tessie. Mrs. Hutchinson said, grinning, Wouldn't have me leave my dishes in the sink now, would you, Joe? And soft laughter ran through the crowd as the people stirred back into position after Mrs. Hutchinson's arrival. Thank you, Brianna. Thank you, Maddie. <laughs> Kia ora everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of Chapter 1, Take 2. A podcast where we read a book, this week a short story, uh, watch the film and then discuss the adaptation. My name, as Brianna said, is Maddie. And your name... As Maddie said, is Brianna. Correct, Amundo. We are Maddie and Brianna. Uh, <sighs> got my name right. Got that out of the way. Yeah. Good to go. Legend. And this week we are covering The Lottery. Written by Shirley Jackson. Considered one of the most important short stories in American fiction history. Yeah. Back in 1948. Published. Not everybody in America talks like that. No. Maybe in 1948 they all did. Nope. I know. I'm just joking. Uh, In an issue of the June 25th issue of The New Yorker. Is where it was published originally. Well, you know, honey, uh, since we are talking about the lottery, and the lottery can only mean good things, why don't we do a wee toast? Toast! To winning the lottery. We don't even, I don't even bought a ticket. So, <laughs> <laughs> those are our chances. Although with you, darling, I feel like I have won the lottery. Oh, stop. That's dumb, though, because it makes it seem like our relationship has left a chance, when actually it takes a lot of intentional effort and work from us. You just explained away the humor of the joke. Oh. <laughs> Sorry. I didn't get it. So, whoops, my bad. Uh, yeah, this week we were originally going to start our uh, five episode expose into MADE. Um, but I am just finishing up my teaching degree, the postgrad diploma aspect of it. I'll be starting the master's in a couple of weeks. Yep. And I am just a little bit naggered. I'm a bit naked too. I've been going through. Ooh, excuse me. We're having some champagne with our podcast episode. To celebrate um, the arrival of soon to be good things, grades coming back on my assessments, and a new job for Maddie. Yes, yes. It's a very exciting time. But yeah, like Brianna said, very exhausting. And also, um, we have a monthly subscription to Buzzsprout. And to upload this month in this episode today, we have only 25 minutes. And so doing a shorter dystopian uh, piece. Absolutely makes sense. Yeah. So thank you, Brianna. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That did not come into consideration in my brain at all. No, but I mean, it works. Yeah. So I enjoyed, uh, let's, let's dive right in. It's a very short story. Yep. Um, basically read the whole thing this morning in like, what, 
20 to 30 minutes, if that. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, and then we watched the film, the short film from 1969, which basically follows the short story pretty much as it is. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there is a 1996 longer film um, with the beautiful... I think it would be interesting to watch that. I, I've been thinking about... Felice Dunbar. Ooh. Why is she the lead? She's not who dies. Uh, played by Kerry Russell. You'd uh, like to watch it, sorry? Uh, yeah, I would. I I would like to see the way they expand the story out to a full yeah. 90 minute film. I yeah. thought about some interesting commentary that you could make. 100%. So a really brief summary of uh, the lottery story is um, the lottery tells the story of a shocking annual tradition in a small village. So basically this is a town of 300 people and you... But it's a it's a tradition that happens nationally. Like it happens all over the place. And also annually. And so here's what I want to pick apart with you, right? This is a town of 300 people. Yep. And every year, spoilers, spoilers now and forever, every year the lottery dictates a person to die. Yep. They're killing a lot of... That's a high percentage of a town of 300 people. Yep. Like you would very quickly get rid of the whole population. Maybe. Think about it. So a baby, like a human a human person, takes... Uh, and, and that's why the oldest person in the village, I think from a certain... Because it, it implies... Um, with the family who gets drawn, that they kill children. Yes. So, um, the oldest guy, he says, he's 77 times I've been in the lottery. So he's, so he, we're assuming he's 77 years old. Yeah. And he's, he's the oldest person in the village, which makes sense because the more you're in, the higher chances you'll be drawn to be the person who's stoned to death. No, you have the same chances. Sure, 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 sure. But the, the long... Each year individually, but yeah, over time. Yeah, over time. Exactly. I said it wrong. But you know what I mean. Um, and so 77 is not that old. I mean, obviously it was maybe in 1948, uh, when it was written, but yeah, for me, there's just no logic in doing it for a town that small because you will eventually just kill out everyone. Sure. I guess. I don't, it's only one person every year. Exactly. But everyone would have to be having so many babies. But like, it's not going to take, like, think about it to kill everybody in the town. It's 300 years, because there's 300 people. So I, d- I don't think they would kill everyone mm. in the town. That's a good point. It is just so... In 20 years, they've only killed 20 people. Yeah. And that's enough for an entire generation. Yeah. But they're not doing it to keep the population down. They're no, doing they're it doing it... It's, it's a sacrifice. Exactly. And it's a... Sac- to promote agriculture. Yes. Um, Shirley Jackson wrote it as a critique against, like nationalism and following traditions for the sake of traditions and um she was surprised as well as the new yorker at the outrage of when the story was published like people cancelled their subscriptions well, people think that the traditions that they hold are important exactly and what's funny about this is that this was written and published before the equal rights uh, amendment was passed yeah the more i read about the story it was kind of like a previous episode um, about roadside picnic. Like, the more I read about it, the more I liked it. Sure. Because, and I remember reading, so if I have um, a bad attention span, which leads to a bad memory. And in high school, I don't remember a lot of specifics the way that Brianna does, but I remember reading the lottery. And I remember it affecting me because I was, like, not expecting the end. I also her. read the lottery in high school. Yeah. And I didn't, I didn't expect her to be stoned to death. 
And I love that that was the ending because I was like, whoa, that blew my mind. And so I think I expected it to end in death or something bad. Yeah, because everyone was afraid. Well, there's a lot of foreshadowing. And what is... Because the black spot yeah. is also a trope from pirate, a pirate genre. So like the black spot, they cover it in Treasure Island where it's like, it's a mark of death. Um, and I'm not sure if it is linked to... Do you know? Did you know that? Uh, I don't know. Yeah. So you didn't know that? No. I haven't read a lot of pirate books. Yeah. It's, it's something I know because I really enjoyed, like, Treasure Island, and I've watched a whole lot of versions, as well as um, Treasure Planet, which doesn't cover it. But the black spot is really a big thing where you've got the older Treasure Island stories, and it's like, whoever has the black spot it's going to get murdered. Shelly's trying to get one of her treats out, which is adorable with her. <gasps> she just used it as a scoop! She used a little paw as a scoop! Because it's a head. Do you know, did you know, Rihanna? Her paw is a head. Yeah, she wouldn't do that with her feet, would she? No. Um, and so I found that interesting because I was like, what is that, ref- like, what is that black spot referring to? Look at you, just gazing at her with your loving eyes. She's so clever. She's so clever. She's a clever cat. Okay, we gotta focus. Does it have something to do with, like, the black spots before people knew about things like melanoma and skin cancer? Because you would get black spots on your body. Like a plague. I don't know if I would read it that literally. I think it's just, um, like, I think it would be... Because I was thinking about this, because I didn't remember the story as we were rereading it. I didn't remember it, like, super closely. And I was like, is it names? Are they drawing out names? Yeah, are they drawing names? Yeah. Um... And then I realized that couldn't be the way they would do it because, you know, anybody could just put in more names yeah. for another person. So there's just what, so there's blank pieces of paper for every head yeah. of the household. And whatever head of the household gets the black spot. Someone from their family dies. Someone from their family dies, exactly. So, so one of the reasons I wanted to talk about this, because obviously it's a really simple and beautiful commentary on society, as you said, on blindly following tradition. Yes. And also on the mob mentality of humanity. Absolutely. Um, and They're all so keen to kill There's so much irony, yeah, in, in how offended people got by the story being published, um, considering the time we were in and how um, arbitrary prejudice is. It's mm. just like, you know, we will make up any reason to convince ourselves that it's okay to be cruel to another person mm-hmm. um i really like that everyone in the town was white like i thought that was really interesting i think that every every person who is not actively thinking for themselves and living with a sense of intentionality yeah. has the potential to fall into mob mentality definitely it's and we, it's, i think we've seen it a lot yeah Recently, um, and I think it's interesting, because the reason I wanted to do this specific story, because there are lots of short stories we could have done, um, is because we're about to cover The Maid, um, and we are looking at um, dystopias and post-apocalyptic fiction um, this season, and then we're just doing this little detour for The Maid. But it's relevant even The Maid, because um, Shirley Jackson is commenting on tradition, but it could easily expand to any aspect of society. Everything that we... Every part of society is constructed by human minds. Yes. It's not there naturally. Mm-hmm. Um, and if we're looking at made, you know, we could be asking ourselves, why don't we just look after moms? Moms? Yeah. Yeah. Or, why don't or, we just look after everyone? Yeah. 
Um, why is the welfare system the way that it is? Why are we so concerned with making sure that people don't abuse the system? Mm. I um, think it's really human nature to want to separate groups of people. Like, I think hierarchies are very... Like, we are just um, more uh, mechanically-minded cavemen. Like, we've mastered technology, but that doesn't mean all our social constructs have washed away. Like, we like... Like, it's very human to want to feel superior to others. And there's a reason that billionaires don't distribute their wealth evenly throughout the world. Like, they're they're just not... I don't think... I think humans, in many ways, are inherently selfish. I think. Selfish has so much baggage that comes with the word. What would you say? Well, if we think about pack animals... um, Yeah. There's a leader of the pack, an alpha of the pack. And the only way to remove that alpha is to fight it and kill it. Yeah. But we don't live in a society where we can fight and kill alphas to take their place. No, but like, um, instinctually, I think we want to be the alpha. We want our genetics to be passed on. And the way that our society is structured allows for different kinds of alphas um, but you aren't the alpha anymore if you're not the best, if you're not the top, you know, if you're not the lead. So for billionaires, I mean, I'm not defending billionaires. I'm just saying, like, I think selfish is a loaded word. I think it's reasonable. Um, reasonable? I think that's a dangerous word. Not for, not for billionaires, but to feel protective over what we have. Um, but I also think that we have a duty to be logical about things but it's it's nuanced it's complicated like we talk all about all the time like if you're drowning you don't have time to think about being a good person you only have time enough to think about surviving yeah but billionaires aren't drowning we don't know i think we can sidetracked and we We yeah there are lots of wealthy people who are really unhappy totally i mean everyone was shocked when heath ledger sadly took his own life yeah Brittany murphy robin williams who's someone that i grow up idolizing Yep. As, as a comedic genius. Uh, no, totally. Uh, I also There's also a lot of tropes around um, billionaires having to be some sort of uh, narcissist or uh, socio-psychopath to get where they are to feel that... But even those are mental illnesses. I agree. I so. agree. No, no, I'm not saying it's not nuanced. I'm just saying that I'm better about not being a, and the alpha. Not better, really. I have a very lovely life. I'm not saying that I think it's ethical or that I, I like know. this. I know how society. you feel about billionaires, honey. Um, um, I'll go through the cast quickly. So the film, the short film that we watched, was directed by Larry Yurst. Um, Teresa Hutchinson, who is the protagonist, and the antagonist is the lottery itself. I read about that. Um, is Olive Dunbar? Oh, that is her name. Olive Dunbar is played by Tessie Hutchinson. That's so weird. No, Tessie Hutchinson is a character. But so is Dunbar. Yeah. But it's Mrs. Dunbar. Her first name is never named. Oh, that's me out, man. Um, old Man Warner is William... He could Fawcett. arguably be uh, an antagonist. True that. All these young kids! So Ed Bigley Jr. plays Jack Watson. And I've seen him in all kinds of things. I remember first seeing him in, like, Third Rock from the Sun. And he's very much in all those 90 films that we used to watch. I'm not sure if he's in Honey, Who Shrunk the Kids... Or I Shrunk the Kids, but that's where I remember him from. How would you rate the film as an adaptation of the story? Oh, it's pretty nearly spot on, like a nine. I feel like 
the scene at the beginning of the film isn't as positive as the beginning of the poem. Like at the beginning of the poem, it talks about how it's story. Yeah. The short story. Sorry. It's like a beautiful sunny day. And like, I don't know, even from the beginning of the film, the tone was quite serious and not as playful as the beginning of the short story. Yeah. I would say. I think it ends pretty dramatically. Like, It'd be interesting to see it redone today. Short film style. I'd like to see the artistic interpretation. Yeah, for sure. What do you think out of 10 as an adaptation? What did you give it? Like a 9. They literally quote word for word. They stand... It's described everyone stands like a couple of meters away from the black box and they hit that circle in the square. Everyone comes out of like the butchers and the post office and they lock up and they're like... I don't know. I find it so interesting the way that they're just blindly... And that's the whole critique. They're okay. Po- they're, po- they're blindly following this tradition, but I just found it really interesting. Oh, look, she's falling asleep. I'm going to give it a seven because of the sun. Like the, like what you were saying. It's not as bright. I needed to see more of a shift. Yeah. It do- it's supposed to be quite a strong tonal shift. Like at the- And especially at the beginning with Tessa being quite jokey, like, oh, you can't leave me... Uh, you know, I couldn't leave the dishes in the sink. Like, someone's about to be murdered, and they're being very cordial about it. Cordial. Yes, and that tra- that con- contrast needs to be quite significant because it shows the hypocrisy. She's perfectly fine being there and participating as long as she's not the one being murdered. Absolutely. Totally agree with that. Um, I really like... I'm going to say something. Maybe a bit. I don't know if it's controversial. Um, people who don't live in America have stereotypes of Americans being quite like loud and extreme and very like patriotic. Mm-hmm. And I... And married to an American. And I can say that one of my favourite things about you is your passion. And I think that one thing that New Zealanders really don't have... Like, we, we're, we're quite blasé, like, she'll be right. And I don't really like it. Like, I wish people felt more strongly. And so, I feel like in some ways, the passion of Americans is really beautiful and really nice. And then, I guess it's an early form of cancel culture. In 1948, when this was published, that's what I was talking about. Like how, you know, um, I don't, Americans know that they're patriotic, right? And so when this comes out and it's critiquing tradition, following tradition for tradition's sake, I love how they're so angry. Because, and even though the story is about a dystopian reality that isn't where they live, they're like, how dare you critique tradition in any sense? And I find that aggression so fascinating because... I don't know if they were angry, like, I don't think they understood the nuanced perspective that Shirley Jackson was getting at, the people who didn't like the story, is what you're talking about, right? I feel like they were upset because of the suggestion that tradition could lead to such violent acts. But it does. It absolutely does. But they don't perceive those as traditions. It's like an accent. You don't realise you have one until you hear someone else talk. I guess. I mean, if you watch any film, like, especially in New Zealand, we watch a lot of American TV and television and film like we know that we don't sound like that so surely people new people in new zealand would know that we have an accent because we don't because americans have an accent sure but it's it's not until you're told that you have an accent well that's actually because you think of other people as having an accent sure but you don't think of yourself as having an accent well that's the same thing as because it's your normal if you live in a white dominant culture you don't think of white culture as culture you think this is just a normal exactly yeah so they don't they don't perceive yeah what they're doing is I just find it really interesting that people aren't I don't know thinking about the environment that they're in or like and, and I think 
People... But it's like what I said, like, if you're drowning, all you can do is stay above water. But who's drowning? There are lots of people who are not drowning. I would say there are a lot of people who are not drowning, but they actively don't want to think about the bad things in the world because it is either too scary or it's too big for them to want to handle. I don't know. I think there are lots of ways to be drowning. I agree. Uh, it's all very complicated, isn't it? It is. Um, how would you rate the film as a film in and of itself? Yeah, I didn't like it either. Um, didn't think it was very special. I thought a lot of the acting was stilted. The way they cut together the dialogue felt very disconnected. And just cutting between the shots yeah. as well was very like abrupt. Um, you could tell who understood their lines and who didn't as an actor. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I really liked a shot where um, Tessa is about to be stoned to death and everyone's collecting stones to throw at her. And a woman hands her son like Tessa's son who's like what seven or eight and she's like here you go dear like here you go here is a rock to throw at your mother to kill her yeah and he stands there and the little boy did a great job as an actor he just he's you can see him being like what the fuck like what the fuck are you doing I also would rate it quite low it wasn't yeah I'm I wasn't particularly impressed I felt it looked like, some of the shots, to me, looked like somebody who'd never made a film before, but, like, had looked at a lot of films and was like, this is how you make a film. I think it was his debut film. Yeah. The director. But I, uh, you know, yeah. But I really like reading into, you know, what it, what it's all about, like, the commentary and everything like that. Because we all like to think... That we wouldn't join in the mob. Like, we would do what is right, even if what is hard... Even if... Um, what was right is the harder path. But in reality, we're not doing that. Like, the majority of people, the reason the world is on fire is because we're all blindly following what everyone else is doing. We're not active in trying to fix things. Collectively, as a planet, if we all stopped buying from Amazon, Jeff Bezos would have to do something. But we're not doing that. I think it's more complicated than that. That's fine. But I really think... Because... In our lives, you and I are troublemakers. I genuinely think we wouldn't go along with it. Like, unless there was obviously some sort of complex, um, depending on who the social pressure was coming from, like if you and I were putting the pressure on each other, that would be a lot harder. Um, And obviously, if everyone lives in a town of 300, you know everyone very well. So you don't want to be ostracized by not going along with it. But, I don't know. I just find the whole thing very interesting. Human psychology. Fascinating. Uh, So, revamp, remake, retire. One, two, three, retire. What did you say? I was going to say remake. Okay, why didn't you say that? I don't know, I watched your mouth and I got distracted. Yeah, I was like, you were like, (laughs) Um. Okay, so you want to retire it. What are you doing? Uh, Yeah, I don't know. I really like the story. I think the story's fine by itself. I don't think it needs to be made into a film or anything. Mm, It kind of already has. It has been. The Hunger Games. Yeah. Um, yeah, I would be interested to see it remade. Maybe not like a straight well, remake. Maybe yeah. Not like a revamp, but like, um, you know, like the clueless of this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I see that. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah. Our next episode will be starting Made. Uh, and we'll be doing a TV series, which we haven't done before. But that shows you how important Made is. Um, I'm finding it hard to read the book, to be honest, because it's quite depressing. Like, it's depressing in a very real-world way, and it makes me feel sad. 
it's not a sad and a detached way. It's sad in a very personal way because I have benefited from my family's intergenerational wealth. Not not an extreme millionaire sense, but definitely in the comfort sense of not having to worry about food or electricity. And it makes me uncomfortable. And I am finding it hard because I'm still on my journey. I'm finding it hard to confront that because it's... Uh, just makes me feel gross. Okay, well, sad. on that sappy, sa- sad. Sappy. <laughs> I was gonna say happy and sad note at the same time. Why is um, it a happy note? Oh, you're sarcastic. I mean, let me just say, uh, yeah, cool. So, thank you for listening. Sorry, this episode was a bit of a downer, um, but we are talking about dystopian worlds at the moment, and then we'll be talking about classism. So that'd be fun. Uh, chapter one, take two at outlook.com, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Um, we've got a Patreon. Feel free to email us. <laughs> oh, no.